RX. I'm Kurt Anderson, and this is the Studio 360 Podcast. Hi, my name is Sandra Lopez Monsalve, a producer here at Studio 360. In 1997, Winton Marsalis was awarded the Pulitzer Prize for his work Blood on the Fields, a two-and-a-half-hour jazz oratorio about a couple moving from slavery to freedom. Jesse thinks not of God, not of heaven, not of justice. Only his own freedom is on his mind. It was the first time a jazz composition had ever won. But even though Wenton Marsalis is best known as a jazz trumpet player, he also is a classical composer himself. He has written four symphonies and a violin concerto. And this year he released a recording of his symphony number no. three, the Swing Symphony with the Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra and St. Louis Symphony Orchestra, conducted by David Robertson. In this podcast extra, Wenton Marsalis sits down with Kurt Anderson to talk about his love of classical music. He says it all started with a chance encounter on a New Orleans streetcar when he was just a kid. So a guy went into the back of the streetcar, a white trumpet player from a college, which was unusual for a white guy to do. He saw my trumpet case, and he had a trumpet case. So you, wait, as a kid in the in the seventies, you're you're sitting in the back of the streetcar because because that's no, required. No, no, you didn't have to. It was not required. You, you, that's it, where you just, were. Just it wasn't yep. mandated. You yep. you wanted to sit there. Yeah, but it was an area that was not populated with whites. Gotcha. So the, this student, for some reason, stepped across those lines and put his trumpet case down by mine. So I was not that eager to see him. So everybody, of course, started to look at me and him. And he was insistent on telling me something. And I was kind of being not as friendly and fuzzy as I should have been. <laughs> but then he gave me an album. It just absolutely random occurrence. I said, check this album out. And it was an album of a trumpet player named Maurice Andre. And I thought, you know, classical music, yeah, okay, man. The famous... Uh, yeah, French. But I didn't know who he was yeah. at that time. I was maybe 13. And I, I read the, the album jacket or something that said that his parents were coal miners. And I thought, man, this people, this guy's people worked in coal mines, and he played classical trumpet. I got to put this on when I get home. So I put it on. It was a recording. And uh, I start wondering. I wonder if I could play like this, or this, this way that he's playing. I start, I start to learn these concertos off the record. And um, then I, I got into the music, studying, reading about people, about him. Um, you, you trained uh, as a classical trumpet player. You played at age 14, a uh, Haydn concerto with the New Orleans Symphony. One of your first Grammy Awards was for a classical, best classical album. So you obviously are best known for all of your work in jazz. Um, but from the very get-go, classical music has been a big part of who you are and, and more and more your work. Do you think of yourself as one or the other more? You're more jazz musician. Yeah. So I bring the jazz sensibility to to classical music. My father's a jazz musician. I was grew up around the jazz musicians, and I come much more spiritually out of the the spirit of jazz. Right. So 
you've been running Jazz at Lincoln Center uh, since you were 26 years old. Basically, you get out of Juilliard and become you start this new thing. <laughs> oh, well, no. I actually didn't graduate from, from Juilliard. I, I said get out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I dropped out. I joined our Blakey's band when I was 18. Yeah. And um, the Jazz Lincoln Center came came along. I didn't really even understand what we were doing. A community of people put it together. Uh-huh. And, you know, we worked on it and nurtured it. I was always there, but it was very much a commune left. Sure. Uh, at that point, did you think of yourself purely as a jazz music player, or was classical music more of part of your head? I stopped playing classical music at a certain point because I didn't feel I could play out a high enough level and develop my uh-huh. jazz playing. Because uh-huh. I have tremendous respect for uh, for the playing and for the, for the history of our, of our instrument and what right. the technical demands of playing at a certain level. Center, though, given that it is the epicenter of classical music in the United States, I mean, that must have at least, I don't know, that could have daunted you and said, well, no. I'm just going to be a jazz player and that's it. And I'm never going to try my hand at being a classical composer. Well, I only tried to write a classical composition because Kurt Mazur, who was the uh, head of the New York Philharmonic, Philharmonic, but his son was a trumpet player. So it's only because he came to a concert of mine when I was like 28 or 29. I had not even written for a big band in jazz and said he wanted me to write for the New York Philharmonic. I started laughing like, man, I've never even written for a big band. Well, and any time any artist changes their lane like, whoa, hold on, dude, you're, you're, you're supposed to be in this lane. Yeah, and for a black person it's worse and for a man it's worse. If you're a black man and you don't want to be condescended to, you're going to struggle out here. So I tried, even as a younger man— to always be as as truthful as I could be with what I knew about myself at that time. Mm-hmm. Kurt Mazur is the reason I started to play it. He did tease me and mess with me. He called me friend. Are you still scared? And interesting about the piece I wrote for the Philharmonic, when I met with him about writing it, he said, I'm going to turn the New York Philharmonic over to you for the night before the turn of the millennium. And I want you to write a piece about our common humanity. And I want you to think about why the strain of relationship between Afro-American music and Anglo-American music has not been continued at all. This in Gershwin, this and this, this and that. And we talked about Nazism and a lot of subjects that were wow. very close to him. And he revealed personal things to me about, uh, he, of course, grew up in that time and what he saw and what he felt about the importance in, of, of in civilization. As a German. As yeah. a German and yeah. about civilization and about what the, the price this required. And he had a profound effect on me. So it took me 10 years to just kind of develop enough technology and understanding. I'm trying to figure out what things do we have in common, what vocabulary can I use. Coming from New Orleans, growing up playing classical music, I knew that we had common ground with ragtime, marches, some forms of American popular song, pieces of George Gershwin, Bernstein, uh, Duke Ellington. I, I, so I started right. to try to figure out how to write for these instruments and what was our common musical ground and what ground did I actually know from my upbringing. So then you take young Mazur up on the dare and write this piece for the New York Phil that they performed 20 years ago. And then when I, when I finished the piece and we first did it, I was, I was, man, I was rushing five months. I worked around the clock. Like, yeah. it, and it was the worst. I mean, it sounded this, so this is, bad. This is all rise, right? All rise. It yeah. sounded so bad. And the Philharmonic was really, tr- a lot of Philharmonic players I, I went to camp with and knew they were trying to really play it. So I couldn't blame them. And I thought, man, 
I, I don't think this is for me. I felt like I had committed a public crime. It was long. It's like an hour and 45 minutes. It's choir, jazz band. It was so ambitious. And, and I saw it on the schedule. We were going to play it with the Czech National Orchestra. So after the New York Philharmonic premiere, which was around, around New Year's, December 27, 1999. Then it was like showed up in 2000, man. And I was like, man, I, can we cancel this? I just the thought of sitting through this again. I worked on it, but, you know, I didn't, I didn't change that much of it. I listened to the tape of it. It was so depressing. <laughs> then when we went to play it, you know, it was interesting. Like it sounded a lot better. You said that uh, the the three big fundamental concepts in jazz for you are the blues, swing, and improvisation. Yeah, and swing is is fundamental. Yeah, and what does that mean to you? It means that that's the African element of the music where two times are played against each other. So why is African music? I mean, tra just traditional generic African as that a means term. Polyrhythmic is that? That, what means, that means yeah, but po it means polyrhythmic in the sense of two diametrically opposed concepts meeting and balancing with each other and going from one side to the other. So it doesn't mean three in the context of four. It means three and four. So one thing is going... That means you're going to either sides of rhythm, night and day together, uh -huh. yin, yang, male, female, together. So both of those things sounding at one time. Right. Western musicians, like we, 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 don't, we learn to play a marches in two. A waltz is in three. You're going to play in two and three at once? Yeah, yeah. Man, I, I don't know if I can do that. Interesting. It's a quantum uh, musical form. You know, X and Y simultaneously. Right. That's right? right. That's exactly like, like how quantum computers work. Right. And it was interesting how that plays out. I was playing basketball with my daughter. She's 11. And with one of her friends who's also, who's 12. And the friend told my daughter, she said, if you see me, go right, go left. <laughs> so it was like go. two against one, but it was a, a just an intelligent way to understand the spatial layout. That's interesting. And you're saying that uh, that is out of Africa, Africa's oh, a big yeah. place, but but, yeah. but uniquely. You're saying that's what it brought to the world's music. Uh, I mean, so many things. I mean, how to deal with the pentatonic scale. African music, largely pentatonic music. I have no idea what you mean. Yeah, do, 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 dee, 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 do. Like you hear all these kind of melodies. Yeah, yeah. Another thing is the dance beat sensibility. The fact that rhythms represent something in life. That there's a symbolism to a rhythm. And then another thing in African music is the supremacy of sound. That inside of a thing is a sound, and that sound is itself an indication of a consciousness. Another thing to be learned from their music, and the deepest thing that we don't understand quite in the West, is that... A traditional thing that is renewed over and over and over and over again is reborn every time it's renewed. So we, we struggle with these concepts. It's funny. I was just reading something about neurobiology where that is exactly how I understand, and it's true, that memories are. Literally, each time you retrieve a memory from your mind, it is rewritten. There you go. And sometimes you actually want to rewrite it. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. But, you know, you will find all these similarities yeah. uh, throughout the physical universe. Throughout, and it, it's because right. the, the insights into the nature of musics and human beings and arts, they're not things that just came about the last 400 years. Right, right, right. We'll have lots more of my interview in a minute. But first, I wanted to take this opportunity to remind you to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Studio 360 Show. And now, back to the podcast. 
Well, let's talk about this swing symphony of yours, which is symphony number three. Okay, well, let's talk about just even how it starts. I start with like a doom, doom, two. I'm in straight four. One, two, three, four. But I have the drums going ting, ting, ting. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. So even in the first measures, I have that juxtaposition of the three and the four, the Africa six in the, in the, in the bottom. So this uh, swing symphony has seven movements, uh, and, and uh, St. Louis to New Orleans, uh, Midwestern moods are the names of some of them, Midnight Moan, right. all these. Um, so were you saying, okay, I'm going to do a history of American music? Yeah, evolution of the swing rhythm. Yeah. A lot of times I'm doing things for people, the musicians who come after me who will be interested in knowing how these things were used in possibilities so that when they can realize things that maybe I don't have the technology to realize, they'll be able to see, okay, ragtime is related to marches and Gunther Schuller was writing these kind of fugues that's related to that and Mingus wrote this and these type of progressions can work with this and you can orchestrate these things this way and the viola section can function like a guitar and these big percussion section can play things based on what Art Blakey and Gene Krupa and this type of drummers played and Lionel Hampton and Benny Goodman. I put a lot of the stories of our music inside of the music. And this is how Ellington interpreted African stuff and how that got into like Copeland. anybody does. Yeah, right. Like Beethoven right. interpreting dance rhythms or Bach. You know, we every you have to interpret something. Shakespeare interpreting yep. Greek mythology. There are no Wagner. blank canvases. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you have to interpret something in the in the human story. A kind of America. I always try to do things I know that I've experienced that I've lived. Uh-huh. So if I go through these movements, I could tell you each one of them what I know specifically about that, and what that experience is. And and it would give listeners a sense of the movements. I mean, it really does start out with roots in ragtime and yeah. There's ragtime, maple leaf rag to the to the slow drag, New Orleans slow drag, and that show how the orchestration works between the two. Then I end with a New Orleans march, which I tried to arrange for the orchestra in such a way that you could see how the spatial layout of New Orleans jazz improvisation was based on marches. All-American Pep is like a 1920s, happy days are here again. Pre-depression music, a lot of trick drumming and things went on, the Charleston rhythm. I used Charleston rhythm in the beginning, I turned around on all kinds of different beats, show how the string section can play really complicated, syncopated things as if they were jazz musicians. So I know orchestra members are really amongst the greatest trained musicians in the world. They want hard things to play. They don't want to play whole notes. I try to write them difficult parts just like what a jazz band would play. And we go from that to a rumba and, and, and Afro-Latin dance craze that hit America in the 1920s. You know, Midwestern Moods is the first time we swing. That's like Count Basie. The trip to Benny Goodman's band 
He played with Xavier Cougat's orchestra and Kel Murray's orchestra, three orchestras on the Let's Dance program in the 1930s. They represent a kind of panorama of Americana that you could see. And we ended with a kind of Benny Goodman, Georgia jungle. That's the first time I really wrote out bass lines and have the orchestra swinging in the time with the jazz band. And the first time we played that with the, with the Berlin Philharmonic, it was actually electric. Because, you know, you're making suppositions that, okay, this, if I write them in three, if I put them in a riff up here, if I put the basses and the celli all right here and I put them in four and have the bass line descend, I'm making a lot of calculations that right. I don't know is true because I've never heard it. But when we get to that end section of number three, that was the first time in this symphony, I thought, damn, this thing actually could work together. And by the way, this is the St. Louis Symphony and your band from yeah. Lincoln Center together. So when you're performing with these two different groups together, you and, and the maestro are up there together conducting? How's the maestro work? is conducting. I sit in the back of the trumpet section where I always sit. Uh-huh. And um, you don't, and you, I need to concentrate on following Ryan because sure. I'm, I'm the fourth trumpet. And our trumpet section and what we have to play. And if I start to look around and think about what a part was played or something, I can't play my but part. How are you fourth trumpet? That's, uh, when I was played the trumpet in the band, fourth trumpet meant you weren't as good as me. I was second trumpet. Yeah, in the jazz band, we're not ordered by uh-huh. uh, our social standing is different. The value of each thing is indivisible. Because now when we sit in an ensemble, we're all one body. So it doesn't matter whether you get the rebound or I get the this right, or the that. Right. It's, it's just what it is. So you're like, it's, you're like a director who also acts in his movies or something in that sense, I guess, maybe? You know, maybe in the beginning, but now with our band, we all music direct. So if, if, if because I wrote the music, right. yes, I, I must say things about it. But when we sit under the maestro, he's conducting. So I learned over the years, even with, with not to, you can't sit in rehearsal and, and interrupt and just stop and stop the rehearsal and micromanage every detail of the, of the performance. You get with the maestro, right. these things, these things, these things. You only have a certain amount of time to rehearse. You don't have infinite time. Be very practical with the time. And uh, sometimes the maestros will have an instinct better than the instinct you have, even if you wrote it. So to be able to know when to when to follow and how to wait and listen and give things give things a chance and be a participant is also important. Of we who aren't in jazz think, oh, jazz is more improvisational. Classical music, it's play every note as written. I don't know to what degree that is or isn't true, but as you're composing these swing symphony and classical pieces, I mean, that must be like improvisation in your head, right? Every composer is improvising. Right. Because they, they right. just write, it's like you write a poem or you write a novel. And you don't know what you're going to do until the next second, really. You have, you have an outline. So, yeah. you know, if you're writing a novel, you're not just free-forming it. It's true. Like you kind of, you... <laughs> it's true. So the b- larger structure is, the more the more definitive and clear the pillars have to be. One of the main things I've had to learn is how to, on a page, give very clear, non-fussy instructions. And it's, it's difficult for me. And you mentioned the plan, the basic map or sketch or whatever. When you start, right. you, you have that. I work on that longer than sometimes in the music. Yeah. I'll sketch things out for five months. I'm v- I have a very clear... A written sketch that I may follow 
when I start writing it. But the music takes precedent over the written sketch. But I look at that outline over and over again. I write down forms, yeah. meanings, moods, examples. That does sound like writing a book. Having written books, yeah. that sounds exactly like writing yeah, a book. You know. and, and as you're writing, I mean, how do you write? Do you, do you use your trumpet? use a piano? What do you do? Sometimes I use the piano. Sometimes I sing it. If I'm riding in the car a lot because I don't like to fly, so I just am in the car, man. I just get in that in the music. I just start singing it. And sometimes I use the piano. I get a foundation. Whatever I have access to, and how, depending on how late I am, I use what I have. Given that you are in these two forms, classical and jazz, that, that were supposed to be dying for the last six years, along with radio, by the way. Uh, <laughs> um, right. and, 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 you know, what is different in the last 25 years is that young people cannot, or 40 years or whatever, can't escape the marketing yeah. bubble. I tell my students, youth is not a quality. Yeah. Like, you're young and you're going to get old. <laughs> so youth is not your a great trumpet player or you I'm young I'm a, you're young yeah, yeah, okay yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it's a fact yeah it's a fact of of, of a cycle that we that we're all going through yeah. but but like you're observing yeah I think that uh why does everything have to be following a trend like I, I believe in classical music I love it Beethoven's right. music is fantastic he put a lot into that music yeah. Brahms put a lot into his music yeah. Shostakovich oh my god what I love about this album and, and your music is this uh, proximity of jazz being invented in the first half of the 20th century and, and you know, all this other classical music. I mean, the simultaneous thing, and it feels to me you just like the first half of the 20th century a lot. <laughs> well, I like all of the music. Yeah. You know, I will use any of their music that I want to use. I, I will use uh, avant-garde music, soundscapes, pointillism, right. any right. of that. But I'm a jazz musician, so right. at the end of the day, I'm going to swing. I hear you. Why? That's what I like to do. So I, just because a group of academicians decide, oh, you know, we're not swinging. Okay, y'all don't have to swing. Yeah. Oh, you know, we don't have melodies now. You don't have to play melodies. I like it. Yeah, yeah. There's no one right way to do things. There are many ways. So why should the way that I'm perceiving and the way that Coltrane, all these people, why should that way not exist in only this way? So uh, for me, the opportunity to interface with more and more people and expand uh, the world that I'm able to be in and to play with so many great musicians of all ages and be a part of that, that takes precedent over some theorems or some whatever is the, the next fair. And also trying my piece not to be topical. I don't want a topical issue. I want to deal with the human issue. Yeah. You know, you know. And are you making any, working on anything new now? Yeah, I'm always working on stuff. What's what's the big well, thing I, you're working on? I just recorded a piece called The Ever Funky Lowdown. And it uses the kind of funk vocabulary that I grew up playing in the 70s, but with New Orleans melodies, like musicians like my father and James Black, what they were playing in the 60s. And it, it has a, a host called Mr. Game, and he takes you through all the ways I'm going to exploit you to accept my narrative. And Mr. Game is an actor on... Mr. Game is Wendell Pierce. You see, trust me, you are thinking about right and wrong and all that save your nonsense. Everything is relative. Wendell Pierce was on this show. Yeah, Wendell is my boy. So, you know, we went to high school. He's a little younger than me. 
but I absolutely love him. Once again, it's really? familiar. I'm surprised. Oh, yeah. I would have guessed you're him. the same age. But. He's a little younger than me. Oh. And you know how high school is. We, we, when you get up in the 50s, we all are the same yeah, age. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Three years yeah. apart? Oh, yeah, right. you know. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. When does that come out? Next year. Great. Keep uh, fighting all the good fights you're fighting. Yeah, man, it's great. You thank know, you. Thank you for talking. Pleasure. With me, you know, having me much love and respect. The recording of Wynton Marsalis' Swing Symphony by the Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra and the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra is out now. Thanks for listening, and you can subscribe to Studio 360 wherever you get podcasts.